Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I just three months into it, just said I can't do this anymore, uh, and I went to the club. I just not long turned sixteen by this point, and I just told the club I had to go. And they let a sixteen-year-old boy who was fifty miles away from home uh, walk out of Easter Road Stadium that day. You know, I went homeless. I didn't go back home. Felt like I'd let my family down, let myself down, like I'd thrown away the biggest opportunity ever. My lowest point came last year, and uh, it's difficult. Yeah, so difficult to speak about. I get so emotional all the time. Um, it felt selfish to feel like that, and it didn't feel selfish to take myself out of the equation or to kill myself almost. It's been really interesting to to see you on this journey now to a more mindful and happy life. Uh, when, my, when I came out of hospital, and I had this overwhelming urge to, to try and use my experience to help people, and Siobhan was the same. We just want to be there for people who just feel like, I just need a wee break, or I just need a wee support group, or a community of people. Yes, people, thank you for joining me again for another episode of the Football and Feelings podcast with me, Leon Masters. I'm your host. Uh, And my guest this week on this episode is a man who is prolific in this football and mental wellness space. It's like a it's a huge he's a huge part of this like very niche online community that um, I've quite recently started to feel like I'm a part of. It's Aaron Connolly. Aaron, how you doing, man? Hi Liam, how are you doing? Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for the very nice introduction as well. Um, I don't think of myself as any big part of it, but uh, it's always nice that people connect with me and believe that I'm doing good work. So thank you. Pleasure, mate. No, no, you are. I, I wanted to touch on later in this episode on the the stuff that you document on social media, but um, I feel like this episode's been, from my end, it's been a long time coming, so I'm, I'm really happy to, to, to get it booked in and to, to get it done here. Let's start with the latest news that I saw on Twitter yesterday. You and uh, your partner Siobhan were just awarded with uh, best volunteers in adult football, right? In South East, is it South yeah, East? Yeah, in the South East. Yeah. So we we got the news earlier this week, and it, it was uh, it came completely out of the blue. So uh, we were nominated and uh, won the award for the best adult volunteers in grassroots football in the South East of Scotland, which sort of covers Lothian and the borders in Edinburgh. Um, where we host one of our Time to Tackle groups, and I'm sure we'll touch on Time to Tackle much more later. But yeah, it was really nice just to be to be thought of and, and for people to, to go out their way to nominate us. Um, it's given us, you know, a, a little bit of a thank you for the work that we do. But I mean, we would do it reward ourselves. Myself and Siobhan both love what we do and, and love delivering the sessions that we deliver. Uh, and we just can't wait to get back on the pitch now, um, having had a positive update yesterday from the government it looks like we're not too far away yeah yeah have you got your first session booked in or is it still a bit yeah so we will we will restart our glasgow group which was the original group uh, launched in october last year so we'll restart that on the 2nd of september and then what i will say for people out here listening um, 
from then it'll go it's going to get really busy so look out for time to tackle nearby you soon uh, we'll be in many many new and different communities all over scotland central belt and, and the far class man class um let's start before we touch on on some of these topics i wanted to touch on your on your football career first um you came through the youth setup right at air united is it air united yeah. right yeah so i spent you know I went into sort of academy development football at nine years old, um, spent some time at Celtic and Rangers and, and Hibs. Uh, I initially went full time at Hibs and, you know, without rehashing the full story, that just didn't work out. You know, it was probably the first time I'd suffered with mental health issues was back then, albeit I didn't know what it was. Uh, and I eventually came through after that little tough period of time, uh, got myself back into football at United and that's where... I made a breakthrough into first-team football at 18. And again, it wasn't a, a distinguished career by any imagination, but um, it's, I achieved something that a lot of people uh, would have loved to achieve in that I set out to. Um, didn't work out for me longer term, and I sort of dropped into non-league football. Uh, and I've, I still play to this day. I have played non-league football for nine years now, uh, at a for different clubs and uh, and I'll, I'll probably always play uh, at some sort of level while my legs will allow me to speak about football being my escape a lot. And I've had some real tough times in it. And uh, but the older I get, the more appreciative I am for the opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. When you were at that age, and like you said, you were nine when you started playing academy football, that, that's so young. Did yeah. a career in football, did that sort of feel like, feel like that was definitely going to happen? Was that like the natural route for you or was it quite yeah. surreal as a young man? I thought um, that was all I set out to do from about five or six years old. You know, I, I don't remember saying it specifically, but my family sort of said from that young age, I was just, I want to be a footballer. And, and my uncle specifically, you know, done everything for me. They took me all over the country. You know, I was training four nights a week at some points, being 13, 14 years old, going straight from school and things. And uh, I got all the support. Um and, uh, and it, it became, started to feel like pressure at times, you know, as I, as I moved in towards playing full-time, it felt like it was an external pressure, like I had to do it for everyone else and not for myself. And that probably culminated in some of the issues and, and difficulties I had. But yeah, I thought football was going to be the only thing for me. Um, it didn't work out quite that way. But uh, what's quite nice now is I've got to come full circle and... Having gone through everything I've gone through that I'm sure we'll speak about in, in greater detail, you know, I'm now using football to help myself and also to help other people. So it's, it's a beautiful sport. I, I love it dearly, um, despite some of my frustrations and difficulties uh, in my time playing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, like you touched on there very briefly, do you have like a first memory of of your mental health sort of affecting either your playing or outside of playing or, or was it at the time did, is it something you didn't understand I had, what was happening at the time I had no idea um, you know looking back now uh, retrospectively uh, and sort of you know reflecting on my life like I have done a lot over the past 16 months um, where I've been in this recovery phase if you like you know I'm talking 15 16 years old uh, I moved away from home so I, People would understand and hear my Glasgow accent. I lived in Edinburgh, uh, so it's about 45 miles, 50 miles. I moved away at 15 years old. I was taken out of school and, and signed my first full-time contract at Hibs. And, and and they put us up in a flat, uh, and it was me and another 17-year-old. Now, you can imagine taking two boys out of the west coast of Scotland and dumping them in this flat 50 miles away without their family. It was just so, so tough. 
Uh, and I was also, I think I was the youngest who was full-time in the, I think there was about 25 of us full-time. Um, age ranges from 15 to, you know, 19, 20, all in the same dressing room. And uh, I was the youngest, or at least one of the youngest. Uh, I was very quiet. Um, I'm not the guy now you hear who, you'll understand the next time I love to t- chat and talk, but uh, I, I barely said two words every day that I spent there. We were there eight till five every day. I barely said anything. Uh, and that, the boys started to take the, take the mic out of me for that. And that's that's football. That's what putting 25 young boys or guys together does. It, it's an environment that I enjoy now, but at the time, I wasn't ready. Uh, I found it really tough. Um, I thought I was weird. I started telling myself I was weird and I was strange. And it, it, it turns out that, you know, I was just I was just shy. I just had some anxiety and I was a kid and, and that was fine. But at that time, you know, 13, 14 years ago, I had no idea what was going on. And the main thing that I couldn't do was because I couldn't relay my feelings to anyone. I didn't know how to convey them to people or to, to speak to an adult or approach my coach or manager or, you know, the head of youth at the time uh, to tell them what was going on. So... I would go home at night, I would honestly I would be in tears sometimes, I would just be in the room, just breaking my heart, you know, breaking down, and then three months into a three-year contract, and Hibs at that time were bringing through the best players in the country, and you had just Stephen Fletcher, uh, Derek Riordan, you know, Kevin Thompson, Scott Brown, Stephen Whitaker, all these players had come through in the batch a couple of years before me, and then the next batch were coming through, sort of Louis Stevenson, Paul Hanlon, I was in that sort of, and with the guys, and then... Um, I just three months into it, I just said, I can't do this anymore. Uh, and I went to the club, uh, just not long turned 16 by this point, and I just told the club I had to go. And what's galling between now uh, and then, you know, if a young boy went to the club and said that now, I'm sure they would get a whole host of support and, mm-hmm. and put in place and conversations would take place. Well, as with me, after a five-minute conversation, I was took upstairs, signed a release form and let go. And wow. the club never followed it. And without, I'm not trying to criticise them, but they never followed up on me. They never checked up what happened. They, they let a 16-year-old boy who was 50 miles away from home uh, walk out of Easter Road Stadium that day and, and make his own way. And, um, uh, you know, I went homeless. I didn't go back home. Uh, I, I had a whole... felt like I'd let my family down, let myself down, like I'd thrown away the biggest opportunity ever. You can imagine, you know, working your whole life up to that point for that opportunity and then throwing it away after three months. Uh, that's how I felt. So I went and lived in a homeless unit after that. That is, that's an 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 in. A, I can't even imagine having yeah. that much pressure on my shoulders at an age like that, especially at fifteen, sixteen. They're that that they are the years where you're meant to be finding out who. Yeah, I mean, it's not something I've spoken. A lot of people focus on, you know, what's happened, what happened last year in my adult life. But I think, mm-hmm. and I think this is probably just where I am right now. It's sort of reflecting back further into my life to look at how it's come as a whole and how everything's happened. It's really made me, I've forgotten. I'd almost forgotten that it happened. Uh, not the football side, but the homeless unit. Uh, you know, it's so far back, but, you know, if people who are out there went through therapy and, and they're like, as you start to dig back into it, you, you realise the sort of trauma that that can, that can have and the impact that can have on you as an adult. So, yeah, I spent a few weeks in a homeless unit, you know, 
I've spoken about it on another podcast recently, but um, I was terrified again, speaking of anxiety and social anxiety and things that I had as a kid. I used to, if anyone, I hope no one has ever been in this situation, but it's the type of place where, you know, people who suffer with addictions, who, who can't, who aren't living a normal adult life or a traditional one are suffering with a lot of probably mental health issues that were around at that time in that unit. You know, it was scary. It was a really, really scary place. There was constant fights. There was constant police around. Um, I seen a stabbing outside the window. Uh, just just stuff like that, that I was just like I was a, I just lived such a sheltered life as a kid um, and when I started being subject to things like that and I was I used to lock my door I would go out really early in the morning I'd buy these you know little packets of noodles you get because all you had in the room was a kettle pretty much so all I could eat was all I knew what to do was pour hot water into these noodle pots so I would just survive on them and sweets and crisps and nonsense like that so I would go out in the morning and buy what I needed for the day or whatever money I had uh, and then I would come back, lock my door, and then just wouldn't leave. And that would be it. That would be me for a few weeks. Um, but that was it. it was just, that was just how it was. That was my life at that time. I didn't, I didn't know, you know, how crazy that sounds now when I think about it. But being 16 years old in that situation. But, hey, there's people worse off out there. There's people struggling with a lot more. Um, and I wouldn't change it now because despite going through everything, you know, it's made me, it's made me the person that sits here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, being exposed to to that sort of atmosphere at such an age, and especially when I, I imagine a few months before that, you, I mean, you never would have guessed that you would have ended up there. Um, what was next? What what happens after that? Did you go go back home uh, and start playing again? Or I managed to get myself a job uh, in a kitchen cleaning dishes. Um, managed to get a job in a restaurant, and that eventually led to me sort of managing to get enough money to get to get a flat. Uh, Started to put that over the course of about 18 months, two years. Uh, got myself back playing at United. Uh, I took about six months off or something along those lines. Um, went to a trial at United. I can't even remember how I got in touch with them. I think maybe they put something out. I got back in touch with my family after a period of time and maybe it was my uncle or something along those lines, maybe seen a trial. They were holding like, these open trials uh, for the under-19 squad. And I went down and just scored four in the trial game. And they signed me straight away, and it was the first time I'd played for Nawayo. And as soon as a club showed interest in me, I wanted to go. Uh, so I, they were in the second division at the time. So I remember thinking in my mind, like maybe I'll, maybe I'll break into the first team. But I played a f- my first season under 19s um, when I was 17, uh, and I think I scored like 40 odd goals. And I just I, I got the love back. I don't know what it was. I think there was just something that I just loved. I was doing we were full time doing a college course so done, you trained in the morning done college in the afternoon and I just loved it for that season I was playing with people my age and amongst my peers I was still really quiet but I'd probably come out myself a little bit more I'd obviously been through I'd been through but I felt like I was putting my life together and I was probably quite proud of myself at the time if I'm honest um, at what I was achieving I was working in kitchens at night uh, and working in, on Saturdays or Sundays depending on when my game was I'd work in the kitchen and things were going all right and then I broke into the first team the next season I was training with the first team for about three or four months and broke in made my debut and obviously was high as a kite uh, you know newspaper the local newspaper were coming to see me and all that sort of stuff and it was all talking about how I'd built myself back up and what were my future aspirations and stuff like that and at that point again 
you know, you get all that same stuff where when I first went full time to being a first team and you get that people blow smoke up your ass and, and tell you what you're gonna do and you believe it, you're a kid. Like you're a kid, you've got no sense of, you know, reality. So you start to believe that you can do that you just soar on and I think when I took the first wee knock at air, I remember it. The following pre season I was sort of in and around the team again and I was actually doing pretty well. I was coming off the bench, I'd scored a few and then the manager dropped me out of the squad one week and that ended me mentally. I could not cope or comprehend with that. Now, probably partly my failing uh, in that I just couldn't understand it. I thought, I've been doing, I'm doing everything right. I didn't, just that naivety and, and wanting to, to play. Um, and it just, it knocked me for six and all that. What happened when I was 16 being in a changing room, that all came back. I went right back into my shell. I started feeling all the anxiety again. Started feeling like I wasn't good enough again. Uh, and I just let that consume me. And eventually, you know, after I think about eight or nine months of that, I barely kicked a ball. And at the end of the season, I just moved on. I didn't even go to, you might have a meeting at the end of your contract to go and have a chat and stuff. I didn't even turn up. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I was like, you know, I was playing in an environment. We got relegated. Uh, the season before and I'd missed a bit of chance at the end of the season that I probably should have scored and then uh, broke in you know as I said done alright but then when I fell back out you know everything just came back and you know, playing with guys who it was a livelihood for me it didn't really feel like that yet but it was for these guys uh, and it was a tough environment like all football change rooms are and it, it was the first time I'd be experienced that where guys needed the one bonuses to, to survive almost sometimes and stuff like that and and being relegated had an impact on other people within the club. And it's, for me, when I, when I thought about that and when I considered it, it was just too much for my mind to take on. Uh, and it would just lead me back into being sort of quiet, shy, reserved. And, and then I started to think again, my weird? And people would take the piss out of you because that's what they do. Uh, and I, you know, I think you can make an argument for some of it being bullying, what happens in a football changing room. But... You know, there's this unwritten law or understanding that that's just what it's like. Uh, and for me, at a young age, I just wasn't ready for it, so it was easier to run away from it. And that was my own failing. You know, I didn't, I couldn't face things head on. I couldn't speak to people. I didn't know how to, as I say, convey the message that I wasn't feeling so good. So I, I hid from it. In all honesty. Mm. It sounds like uh, pressure and, and anxiety are, are very recurring things that uh, that you, yeah. from what you've been through. Has that? Do you think that's carried on afterwards? Now is that still something that you that you battle with every day? Uh, I like to think I cope well under pressure now. Um, anxiety is something that comes and goes for me. Don't get me wrong. What, I, what I'm quite prone to is you know something will go wrong, and you know we all have our challenges. Uh, mm. Everyone has their obstacles every day and, and has their issues. I'll get serious anxiety when I know something's happening that, that is out with the normal or something that I need to deal with. You know, I, I can be quite prone to being really anxious about that and it'll floor me. Like people will be like, well, everyone has that. But what it will do is it means it will physically drain me. It will not only like play my mind, but physically, you know, I'll really struggle. So I've had to deal with that probably my whole life and I've become better at it now. Whereas, like I said, when I was you know, 16 initially, 19 at Air United, just about to turn 20. I just ran. I ran from it. I just felt like I can't cope with that. And 
and I didn't like the feeling of it, so it was easier to avoid it. I think now, mm-hmm. you know, being an adult, a father, uh, and having worked in, on a career and stuff like that, I, I've, I've learned to deal with better. I've been through the therapy of it. And, but I think it's something that we need to talk about. I, I couldn't have spoken about it 13 years ago. It was just, get on with it. Uh, you know, that, was the rea- that would have been the reaction. You know, get your head up, get on with it, shit hams, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I think now, it would be much easier and, and not overly easy, it's still tough, but I think it's certainly easier for me to say to someone, look, this is how this makes me feel, which makes it difficult for me to deal with it. And I know I still need to handle the situation, but I need to do it a little bit differently. Yeah, it's a hard thing to to sometimes explain to people who haven't experienced it as well. Like it, it makes it sometimes make you makes you feel insecure when you're trying to explain it. Mm-hmm. You're like, I've got this voice in my head, and it sort of tells me that it's. It, it, I'm, I'd be more comfortable just staying at home, and that restricts you. Yeah. And and it, in in a way, it feels. Um, I'm talking off my own experience. In a way, it sort of feels almost feels comfortable it's like no don't go out there that's really uncomfortable just stay inside yeah. you, you'll be you'll be much better there but it's um it's a difficult thing to try and explain to people right it's a protection thing so it's for it's an escapism and i thought i've said this word a lot recently escapism you know i think there's things you can use that are positive behaviors that can help you escape and then there's on the flip side there's a negative behaviors that can help you escape and when i say negative people they instantly think of like drugs and alcohol and all that but what's quite a negative behavior is you know like i'll do quite often and siobhan if she was here would would uh, account for this but you know i'll lie on the couch and i'll just put the covers on my head and i'll just lie there and that's just because i feel really uncomfortable and anxiety will get to me and, and sometimes rather than deal with stuff that i probably have to deal with and that sometimes just feels like I'm safe, you know, I'm safe on that couch. Uh, but if I mm-hmm. if I go out and face some of the adversities that I've had to face over, over my time, I'm not safe and, and it's uncomfortable. And I'm looking at, sorry, I've got a, a whiteboard here next to me and one of the quotes <laughs> on it genuinely says, get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, sometimes that's just got what you've got to do. Uh, but I think what's what's so important is we can, I can speak about this now today. I can sit here and have this conversation to say, well, that that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, when that's I was massive 16, as well. That's huge. When I was 16 years old, I couldn't have approached, I didn't know how to, but I don't think it would have been widely accepted if I approached a manager and said, I feel uncomfortable with him saying to me that the one that sticks in my mind because it made me, it broke me one night was um, one of the boys said to me, it's the quiet ones you need to look out for. They always become serial killers, right? And I know I know that's like a joke. I know sitting here right now, that's him being funny or trying to be funny, right? But I would genuinely have gone home and went, like, is there something wrong with me? Am I I headed down a bad path because he said that and it broke me down? But if I I had went to manager and said, he said that to me, manager, I'm like, well, shut up, he's having a joke. But right now, if I said it now and I said, look, that's how that makes me feel though, I think it would probably have been, it it would be much more accepted now and, and it would be an easier conversation. But, 13 years ago I think I'd have been told to shut up and put my boots on and go on it yeah yeah things have changed quite rapidly um on this podcast I like to talk about people's highs and lows because everyone feels these things differently no one has exactly the same experiences and and like you said sometimes anxiety you feel it physically in in certain places and and stuff like that but for you what was life like at your at your sort of lowest point like how did that feel and and what was happening in your life at that point obviously my my lowest point fairly well documented now without 
sounding, you know, arsene important, but it's been fairly well documented that I had uh, a very near suicide attempt or suicide attempt, however you want to label it or phrase it, uh, in April last year. Uh, and, you know, that was after a few episodes or or whatever you want to call it. I call them episodes of depression in my adult life a few times where I'd taken extended periods off work and things like that and I just wasn't feeling good. But my my, my lowest point came last year and uh, it's difficult, it's so difficult to speak about, I get so emotional all the time. Um, mm. I think I'd just broken myself down. I, I've said that phrase a few times talking about this sort of stuff, but um, in 2017 I'd been admitted to, or not admitted to hospital, sorry, I've been taken to hospital for the first time with concerns over my welfare, let's say, um, where I'd first dealt with suicidal idea, ideations uh, and, and thoughts in 2017. got really tough and my wife, wasn't my wife at the time, Siobhan, uh, took me to A&E and that's when I first sort of had to engage in a CPN or community practice nurse and the crisis mental health team. So. I sort of went through like a 12-week CBT program, a cognitive behavioural therapy program back then. I was off work for about four months, I think. And that was the first time I'd had to do any therapy or any, any sort of behavioural like changes or any sort of consideration for what I could change. Um, and from that point, you know, I think I went back to work maybe September, October time. I got myself back to work. Uh, and I made the decision then that, I was going to, I said, I spoke about escapism earlier. Uh, I made the decision then that I was going to change my life and that I was going to work so hard and be very, and be so successful. By this point, I'd been working in an office for about seven, seven years or so uh, in financial services. And we spoke about pressure earlier and how I always put pressure on myself, whether it be external or internal, that I, I believe there's pressure. So I basically made a vow to myself Right, I've dealt with this suicidal episode now. Uh, I'm back. I've changed my medication, which is what they've done at the time. I've engaged in the therapies that I had to engage in. I'm fixed again naively, not fully understanding this, despite having dealt with it for a few years now. Uh, I'm fixed and I'm going to be successful. Uh, and successful to me at that point, because having no real life experience or understanding, probably, uh, and looking too much on Instagram and Twitter and stuff, success to me at that point was nice car, three, four holidays a year, you know, house, we've already got the kid, we're married now, like, let's go have a proper adult life almost. Um, so I got myself back to work and I, I made a vow that I was just going to work so hard. Uh, and I worked, uh, I, I kid you not, 14 and 15 hour days for the chunk of about 19 months straight. Just work, work, work. I would be away a lot. Um, Ironically, I was working in Edinburgh, <laughs> so I was back through in Edinburgh, uh, but living in Glasgow, so I was commuting four hours a day. There would be times where I would just stay in Edinburgh because it was easier than commuting, and I was maybe working 15 hours, and by the time you had your commute on and stuff, so I just what I put everything I had into it, and now as I reflect on it, you know, that was an escape. I just changed my escape to something else, so I just work. If I just my mind was all consumed by this, then it couldn't be consumed by other things. Uh, and I think just shy of trebled my salary and I did do really well um, but by the time we got to April 2019 you know after almost the guts of two years of, 
of behaving and working in that way. I was mentally drained, you know, I was physically exhausted. Emotionally, I wasn't connected to anyone. I'd isolated myself from family, from friends. I had actually stopped. I was still going to football on a Saturday, but I wasn't training during the week because I was just work, work, work. So I'd sort of taken myself out of the football environment, which would have, which would have been a positive escape for me. It would have been a positive coping mechanism for me usually. You know, if I'd had a routine of playing football, physically great for me, mentally it's good for me but I stopped doing that for a period of time and I was just turning up on a Saturday and sitting on the bench and that was frustrating me because then I was like well I'm not playing, I'm wasting my Saturdays, I could be doing other things so it was just it was a cocktail of things that happened my wife uh, Siobhan went in to get surgery in early April um, which sort of left her almost bedbound but recovering in bed for the, the best part of two weeks or th- just over two weeks I think and I, and I felt it coming. I just felt like my mood was starting to really drop off. Uh, I noticed the triggers and the signs. I was starting, one of my things, of, uh, I don't, I'm not a drinker. I never really have been. Um, started going out on like Friday nights and stuff. I'd go for a couple of beers after work. That's totally out of character for me. Um, and it's usually a sign that there's something underlying that I'm just trying to escape or run away from a little bit. Uh, I didn't talk about it and I kicked myself for it because I knew that something wasn't right. I knew I wasn't feeling good and and that continued for a couple of weeks and the thoughts, I'm very much a self-loather. Uh, I'm sure you, when you hear me talk about it, you know, you can see it's always about me not being good enough or whatever. That's where the thoughts often go to and, and they manifest for me pretty quickly. Uh, to I'd started to, while I understood that I was doing well at work, I'd started to say to myself, but you're just putting all your focus into that, you know. You're not a good dad, you're not a good husband anymore. Um, you're not playing football anymore. Like you're, it was always a negative. I wasn't able to, to to look at the positive aspect, and that was just my perspective of it. And those thoughts manifested over a couple of weeks to quite quickly become sort of suicidal and, and be starting to feel like you're a burden is probably the best way to, to phrase it. You know, you start to feel like... Oh, I think my my overriding thought very often was along the lines of I I'd had a breakdown in 2015 or an episode I'd had the one in 2017 and here I was again in 2019 dealing with it again uh, and my overriding thought was is this just going to be like this every couple of years for the rest of your life no matter what you do um, is that fair on Siobhan is it fair on Rory that Every couple of years, you're just going to break down. They're probably better off without you. That's sort of, sort of I'm saying it very in a blase way, but you know, you imagine telling yourself that it's difficult, uh, and that's where my mind took me to. And, and uh, the week sort of leading up to the Friday night, the 26th of April, was um, I just knew, I knew in my heart and in my head, this was getting serious. And again, didn't tell anyone, and I knew, and I, I know I should have. I had thoughts of, you know, it wasn't fair and Siobhan, she was actually struggling and, and dealing with an actual physical, you know, ailment and dealing with an operation and recovering from that, you know, how dare I go and put my shit on her again, despite everything we'd been through here, I was sitting feeling like this. It felt selfish, it really did. It felt selfish, and this is what's so weird about it. It felt selfish to feel like that and to tell her, and it didn't feel selfish and to take myself out of the equation or to kill myself almost so 
But the suicidal thoughts sort of came for a couple of days where I started to think about it and idealise around it. And and on the Friday morning, I just woke up and it was just like the weight in my shoulders, everything. Uh, I was just completely broken down, mentally, physically, emotionally gone. You're not living in reality anymore by this point. You're literally surviving on, I don't know how, you're just surviving and you're not in the real world anymore. You're not thinking straight. You're not, just nothing is, nothing is how it should be. And I just said to myself, this is it. Today, like, I'm going to finish work today. Uh, someone I'd worked alongside for a long time had a night was leaving so they were having like a night out and I was like I'll go to that to basically say my goodbyes and then this is me and then that I'm almost ashamed that and I've used this phrase many times but ashamed to admit but there was a relief it was just like it's like a weight lifted because you're you're not you're not turning and fro in that decision anymore um sorry uh and um it almost takes a weight off your shoulders because I, I and you're not thinking of family and people and I hope no one misconceives what I'm trying to say here. I, I hadn't there was no real consideration for Siobhan or Rudy and that wasn't because I didn't care about them or didn't love them. That was because my mind had taken control of me and I wasn't acting in any way in any way of reality or, or how I would normally act and and that's I think that's what your your mind can do to you. It's a powerful thing. I think we probably downplay how powerful it can be, and I see, I see a lot of, you know, people when they talk about suicide. I think it's, it's obviously very difficult to understand. But having been someone who's been there or on the brink, you know, I would never, and I would urge you not to to judge people for feeling that way, to, um, because it, it's tough, and it's tough to deal with afterwards. Trust me. Um, mm-hmm. The guilt and stuff afterwards isn't easy either. Uh, I just think that people need to hear how bad it can get and understand it, and, and maybe just and for the most part people do. But I think be a bit more empathetic to where suicidal uh, people who are feeling suicidal, how bad they actually feel, because it's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible thing, and I'm so grateful that, that you know I didn't complete suicide that evening. I um, I I, re- I wish that I couldn't relate relate to you at all. I mean, unfortunately, I can not to quite the same extent. I didn't quite get to that point where it was actionable. But that I, what I found when I reflect on it now, um, the scariest thing maybe this is might be the same for you. I'm not sure. The scariest thing when I reflect on it is that that decision it it didn't feel like a big deal it was like it was just like you know I'll, I'll go do this and then maybe when i'm when i'm driving home i'll just i'll just end it there i'll just draw a line there and then we'll just call it a day pretty much like yeah. it didn't feel like i wasn't sitting there having like an intervention with myself it was it's almost like easy to to fall into that i don't know if that's if that's something that you felt yeah, i but... think i think for a couple of days like i said for a few days like nupped it and, I, and the thoughts were there you know that was the tougher part but as I said when I woke up, and I hate saying it out loud, but I think it's, I think people need to hear it. Like there was a relief, and I was just like, oh, thank God that, like, thank God I've made the decision now because the the few days leading up to it made it so difficult. But like you say, when when I actually woke up that morning, I thought, right, how am I feeling? 
I did almost feel easy, and that's why I stress so, so much. I like, don't think I was living in a real world or I was in any sense of reality at that point. I did not wake up in the morning and go for, you know, I, I don't care about my wife and kids, I'm just going to finish this all today. It's not like that, even in the slightest. And, and I know that's the very difficult thing for people who haven't lived it to understand. And I do my best to, to say this is how it can get because I just, I see it. I see it all over social media. I see it when, when people are talking about it and when people have sadly passed you know i hear this word selfish all the time and it's it's absolutely not trust me it's not and and it's also normal maybe normal isn't the right word but it's uh, it it, it can happen to any of us at any time you know um you're you're one day away from something going catastrophically wrong in your life and your mind taking you down that route you know what i mean like you're one trauma away from it yeah yeah you're quite right um okay f- first of all thank you for for sharing that i could see it wasn't easy for you for you to do so um it never is easy to you know, delve into something that deep um to sort of to try and flip that round i don't want us to to only focus on those low points um We've been following each other on, on Twitter for quite a while. I think you were one of the first people that I actually followed when I started the Football and Feelings Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it's been really interesting to to see you on this journey now to a more mindful and happy life. And you're documenting it so well. Like you're you. you're happy to to post those highs and those lows. Um and I'm sure that from your point of view, you've you've learned a lot about yourself in the in the past year or so. How's that journey been? Uh, it's so it's so hard to sum up. Like I instantly smile because I remember where I was and what we did. What we haven't even touched on that I usually speak about is the four and a half weeks in the hospital and and how tough that was as an environment and and oh, you know that's another kind of worms that you open up and you see so many difficult things in there and so many unwell people but so many fantastic people helping and, and amazing staff and you know reflecting on the last what are we sixteen months on almost. Um, just it was just happiness. I, I speak about a moment, a couple of moments in hospital. You know, I got I was quickly skimming through it, but I, I got taken to a psychiatric hospital and I was sectioned for twenty eight days under the mental health act. And I spent I think I spent like thirty one days in the hospital in total. Um, and for the first two weeks, because I was still threatening to run away, I was still suicidal. They, they put me in a locked ward, so I didn't, you weren't allowed outside and I could only go to bed at bedtimes, I could only eat at mealtimes and things like that and visitors were only allowed in to see me for an hour a day, so I'd see Siobhan every day and some family would pop by and friends would come whenever they could, but I could, I'm, act, I'm an active person, you, you'll know from my Twitter I like going runs and I love playing football, obviously I like being outside and I didn't get outside for I think 12 days, maybe 11 or 12 days. And no fresh air. The only thing you could get fresh air is if you went for a fag after your meal and I didn't smoke, so I'd never bother myself going outside. I'd just stay in. Uh, probably the only one actually who done that, but I would just sit myself in the break room uh, while they went and smoked. And, and I got, eventually, it uh, was basically said to me, one day, maybe 10th of May or something along those lines, like, we're going to let you outside today. We think you're making progress and, and we think that keeping you locked up is going to eventually start to, you know, jeopardise that progress. So, uh, And the sun was shining in Scotland, which is strange, but <laughs> there was some sunshine that day. And um, 
just remember the sun hitting my face and the fresh air and hearing noises again that weren't people talking or people shouting or people screaming or and just like the noise of uh, I speak about walking out to the main road. The, the hospital's like on a very busy main road. Um, but you have to walk a fair bit, but you walk out and then you know the noise of traffic. I was just like, oh, this feels like real, real life again. I took a selfie and I sent it to almost everyone of my contact and my contact, but of me just smiling again and probably one of the first real smiles in a long, long time. And then the next day was a Saturday, uh, and the doctor had spoken to my wife separately to say, "Look, we're going to let Aaron out on Saturday. Do you want to bring the uh, Rory down, my wee boy?" Uh, and you can get out on the hospital grounds for an hour and you just can sort of spend an hour as a family without any eyes or ears or anyone around. And uh, Rudy brought me a ball. He's like, oh, I forgot to see that day. We'll take him a ball down and play football. And it's a really amazing picture. I mean, him chasing a football about on a bit of grass. Uh, and that's in the, the grounds of a psychiatric hospital. But, you know, and I'm sure we'll come on to touch time tackles him. But that, that for me, epitomises and, and shows the power of football that even on that random bit of grass, you know, in a really, really tough environment, you know, football just took all that away from me. But how do I reflect on the last 16 months? As I said, happiness, joy, like gratitude, gratitude beyond belief. That moment, I just spoke about those moments in hospital, sort of, I almost look at them as the beginning of a second life for me, where the first 27 years I was surviving and I, I was doing what I'd done. And, and don't get me wrong, I made some bad mistakes over the time and I'd done some things I shouldn't have done and like as all uh, I had my difficulties but uh, that those moments feel like where the recovery actually started where I had engaged in recovery before and looked at therapy and I'd done, I'd done all this before but I'd never properly went into it until, until those moments until I thought right and my, my feelings at the time are very much of how can I deal with this better? And it's something I talk about to people a lot. You know, when I do, when we help people, when we do, when we host the groups and stuff, it's like, it was the first time I started looking inward and saying, well, what, what can Aaron do to, to do this better? Uh, um, and that's and that's when things probably change for me. And, and like you say, you know, I document it as, as much as I can. I'll be as honest as I can on Twitter and stuff. I always get the fear about just being a bit too much for people and they're like, fuck's sake, is he talking about mental health again? But I, I just try I, I try and be as honest as I can. I try and tell you when it's not so good for me. Uh, I try and tell people what I'm doing about that when it's not great for me. And when it is going well, I try and tell you what habits I'm doing because I think I think the power of this and what we really believe in, especially running time to tackle, is that you know lived experience and, and peer support are so so powerful they're underrated just how powerful they can be there is obviously uh, a proportion of us that need professional help but I think if you can get the right support network in place alongside that professional help and the medication and stuff like that the differences and in, in how quickly things can change for you are honestly unbelievable and that that's really what I've done I've learned I think the main learning about myself is just that I said it at the start quite I said it briefly you know I've gone from this quiet, shy, introverted, probably considered a bit strange person, even as an adult, I was probably considered that to someone who loves to talk and connect with people. And, and you know, I love doing stuff like this. I, lo I love chatting to people online. I love hearing people's stories. I love hosting other groups and you sit in a room, you know, I'll stand up in front of 40 people and 
fuck absolute nonsense or, or I'll stand up in front of 40 people and tell them how I'm feeling you know I'll share my most vulnerable moments because it's just it, I just feel like it helps it helps me and, and I enjoy doing it and that's that's the biggest learning for me I've developed so much in that aspect that and literally it almost feels like in the click of a finger I've went from a shy person to, to someone who, who likes to be connected with people that's class man I've, I've really like that's that's oh man i feel like that's a weight off my shoulders hearing <laughs> how you're in such a better place um and recently you've posted some things um that have made me think about how i'm approaching my day to day at the moment i like, i have i haven't left the house in 10 days because i've torn a ligament in my ankle getting around oh, just right. a bit of a pain yeah. but you're you've been posting about starting your day off every day with something positive and that was something that for the past like five or six days, I I fell out of that habit completely. It's something that yeah. I know helps me, but I was waking up and just mindlessly scrolling through my phone, yeah. and it would get to like midday, and I'm like, oh fuck, is this is this the day? Like, is this all I'm yeah. going to be doing? Um, and it's one of those things that can slip away so easily without you noticing it as well. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, like uh, if you've looked on my Twitter and stuff, you'll see I'll go through peaks and troughs where there will be mm-hmm. things where I'll just be I won't do it, but I think. It's something I'm really focusing on now um, is trying to start the day right. But also, what I've really been, and I've been doing it for longer than I've actually been posting about it. But um, uh, as I said earlier about the whiteboard, and I'm looking at it again because it says on it, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And it also says, what can I do today that, that future me will be thankful for? Um, uh, and that's, and I use things like that to prompt me. And that's the thing that I'm posting about right now is like, what, what am I doing today that, that tomorrow or, or in a week's time I'll be thankful for? And, and we, I think we can all do that. I think it can be simple, by the way. I'm out doing runs and all that sort of stuff because that's what I enjoy. And so, some people might just enjoy sitting and reading a book. Or mm. I think, and that's a big thing about my journey over the last 16 months is actually looking at more than and understanding who I am and what I enjoy. And I know that sounds wanky, right? I, I've been the guy who's been sitting listening to a podcast like this going, this guy sounds like a tosser like he knows it all <laughs> it's not it's not what it is it's absolutely not how i want to come across I, i've tried things i've tried the running the running started in hospital where i started getting half an hour a day out alone and i would just run for half an hour it's actually weirdly despite being a psychiatric hospital the grounds around it are really nice and i just started running i hate i played football my full life hated any running until i got locked up in a ward and then i started to enjoy it so i, I know that that helps me I know it's hard sometimes to get up and do it, but I know if I do it, I'll feel better. And I know that it will help me in a whole host of aspects in ways that, like mentally, it will help me feel better. I love running and just thinking about everything that's going on and just getting rid of it all. You know, very, I'll very clearly, if you ever see me run, I'll be doing actions and stuff, and that way me just getting stuff out, just get it out. And that, it really helps me do that. And and physically, it obviously helps keep me fit. And um uh, I like reading, or, or I'm more inclined to do an audio book now, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, just listening again. It's listening to people. It's listening to stories. It's listening to to real life stories of people have overcome it. I love the the thought of overcoming challenges. I think you may have seen the myth. You know, I woke up one Saturday, May, and said, "I'm going to run a marathon with no training," and I just ran a marathon. And and that purely <laughs> for me was, it's just yeah, a challenge and do it. And I'd been struggling with a calf injury for a couple of weeks leading up to it, but. I just thought I'm going to do it, and then 
I'd done another challenge where in a week's notice I basically said to myself I'm going to run four miles every four hours for 48 hours and again mm, that was mad that was I, I didn't really interesting train, I didn't train didn't do anything my calf actually went during it and I still finished it by walking but again for me that was just a setting myself a challenge and overcoming it you know physically uh, and mentally just doing it it's the euphoria of doing it I love mm. doing stuff like that but I think those are the those are the main things for me that I just try and focus on. You know, I hope it, it doesn't come across as me trying to teach you how to live your life or anything like that. Like there's also days that I'll eat four bars of chocolates and three packets of crisps and do the square root of nothing. You know, <laughs> I, it's very much about finding balance for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, the aspect of you know what can I do today that 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 future me will be thankful for is something that I'm really working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. I just believe that it, it manifests. It, it can manifest. It can create a positive cycle. I hear a lot, a lot about negative cycles and negative thought cycles and breaking that and breaking the cycle. And it's always about let's break the cycle. But mm-hmm. I'm sort of thinking, well, once we break it, why don't we start a new cycle that's a positive one? So that's the sort of stuff that I'm trying to work on for me personally, and, and that's what we're trying to what we're trying to deliver to our group. You know there is so much negativity out there you don't need to go far to find it uh, mm. I think I in the past was always the person who focused on the negative aspect of something straight away you know the story of the, or the saying of every cloud has a silver lining you know for me every cloud every cloud was dark and rainy and uh, I never found any silver linings where there's now I can be quite annoyingly trying to look for the positive of it <laughs> uh, you know just you just very plainly, my life was just last week lost my job, and then I spoke to my wife and stuff about it, and it was like, well, you know, it happens. Like maybe it's the universe giving me an opportunity to do something that I prefer to do or I want to do. And I think just changing that perspective, if you can, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, with certain situations, just make all the difference. And that's that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, and it's it's quite easy to forget sometimes just to do things that you enjoy doing. I mean, people get caught up in their own life cycle. Um, let's talk about Time to Tackle then. You launched that in October, yep. Football Therapy Group. Love the idea of it. Could you tell us a bit about the sort of setup and, and how it's helping people through football? Yeah, so um, yeah, launched in October. So pretty much uh, when, my, when I came out of hospital and, and things like that, um, I had this overwhelming urge to to try and use my experience to help people and Siobhan was the same you know we'd been through a lot not just in what happened last year you know and what had happened previously we'd, we felt like we'd learned a lot we'd been through a lot mm. uh, and we both you know Siobhan's always loved people she's Siobhan walks into a room and everyone gravitates towards us one of those types of people who just commands like instant attention I don't know what it is I've always slagged her for it but yeah, she's always sort of loved helping people as she's a nurse obviously um uh, an accident emergency so she she's picked a career that has allowed her to to fulfill that need of, of wanting to be helpful and help others and and what I had discovered through my experiences now was that I felt like I wanted to do similar and, and try and do it if I could but also one of the main things and what led to creation was it as well was like we sat we literally sat down early October last year we've been talking about something for a while football was always going to be play a part somehow but basically sat down and said look we need to stop talking about this and we need to do it um, and the idea stemmed from basically me and Siobhan saying well what, what sort of group would you have liked that Siobhan said to me what would you have liked to attend if 
if there was a group available, you know, what was it that was missing that you couldn't find that maybe could have helped you? And I just said, to her, well, maybe a support group that used football, you know. And we started thinking, well, how, how can we do that? And very plainly and simply, we just said, well, we, we play football for an hour or we book a pitch for an hour and we get people together to play. And I think the power of football is everyone who's involved in it or who loves it will understand is that people will come. If you put a football session on, you put a football team together or whatever, people will come because they want to play and they want to meet people, they want to meet friends. And football just brings people together, like probably most sports do. But, you know, football is my interest and what I love. And that probably um, played a part. So we said, we'll get people together because we'll offer them a free game of football initially. Uh, and that will get people out. So we booked a pitch and then we said, so what, what's the next part? Because I think playing football could have positive impact, for sure. I think if you put them football in for an hour and say this is a mental health group, people would come out, they play football, they would get, you know, that sort of um, physical uplift and physical exercise. And they'd also get that little bit of mental respite where they'd be able to concentrate on just playing football for an hour and it would be an escape for them. Uh, but we wanted to do a little bit more than that and we sort of thought, well, why can't we just amalgamate the idea of playing football and a, a traditional support group? Uh, and I'm not a huge fan of the term support group. I think it scares people away a little bit and you feel like you're going to sit in a circle and you're, I'm going to go around you one by one and things. It's not like that. But we're like, can we get somewhere that there is a pitch available for us and there's also a room where we can get together and chat? And it is that, it is purely that. We call it football therapy, that's just our tagline. We thought that sounded quite nice um, and, it, and it sounded good. And, and But it is, honestly, we we come in, we have a chat, we do a little couple of prompts and stuff, just a check-in, what we call a mental health check-in, and that's just to make you, as a participant, consider, you know, how do I actually feel when the question's asked. We keep it all, all that sort of stuff anonymous so that if you don't want to talk about it in the open, you know, you, we just stick a post on the board for you. Um, but it gets you thinking. It at least prompts the thought in your mind of how do I actually feel. And, it, and if people are comfortable to talk and tell us about it, then we just go and we take it from there. Um, you know, I don't have all the answers, and Siobhan doesn't either, but what we have is within a group, you know, we had like 40 people nearly attending the Glasgow group towards prior to lockdown. And I remember group that just started, but... Uh, you know, all these shared sharing all these lived experiences, people have all had similar uh, experiences, you know, they're able to help each other. We don't need to have all the answers. And, and it's just a group of friends now, it's, that's what it's become. Um, and the, the name Time to Tackle pretty much came from, we were like, well, what do we call it? And it was pretty much, well, let's look at actions of football. Can we pass something? Can we do about shooting? Can we do about crossing? And Tackle just felt, Re relevant because you know tackling stigma is tackling poor mental health it just felt like a nice tackling we could put together and that was it it was literally born in a night that night we booked the picture room and, and we went for it and it, it's grown unbelievably so yeah that's that's really nice to hear how the setup works there because a, a few months ago i remember my friend called me um and he said we should start a a football and feeling team and because we, we we want to play football as as like he said as everyone does but we wanted it to be uh quite often when you 
playing a football team, it can attract it can attract knobheads, to be honest. Yeah. Um, without a doubt. Like there's people that turn up for their one hour a week and they just want to be angry and they, they don't want anything yeah. to do with anyone. They don't want to share any experiences. So we we've been talking recently about like starting up a maybe just like a seven aside team or something like that where you just have a community of people where you can come and and it's just relaxed mainly. That's the the main emphasis there. And it sounds like it's something that you could have benefited from. Yeah, I think if there's times in my life, you know, looking back, there, there would have been times where I would have went to something like Time to Tackle. There would have been times where it was too late for me and, and I'd already missed the boat to try and get that. I think what we're really keen on is obviously, I think it's about preventing crisis. Uh, and that's what we want to do. We want to get in there and get people talking about things earlier um, and not feeling like they're alone in, the, in their in their own heads um, and, and suffering in silence. And, and by the time you get them, you know, you're intervening in what is already a crisis moment. We, we're encouraging you to think. And I, I say this all the time. You know, I think there's a, a statistic that, that goes around that says one in four people will, will suffer from uh, poor mental health. You know, I would challenge that and say, well, you know, we'll all go through grief at some point. We'll all lose somebody close to us. And it may be just at times like that you want somewhere to go that can help you. Uh, I think Time to Tackle and, and initiatives like ours can can fill that void. People go through divorces. I mean, I speak very bluntly about it sometimes, you know, I've got a five-year-old kid and, and a wife and, and it's not all rosy in the garden all the time, you know, there are mm-hmm. times where I will drive Siobhan Mendo and likewise and everyone will have that in the relationship where you go, oh, maybe on Wednesday night I can get out of the house for a couple of hours and I can have a break. Um, and that and that's that's part of life and we are very heavily focused on mental health of course because of our background but we just want to be there for people who just feel like I just need a wee break or I just need a wee support group or a community of people who maybe understand me uh, and don't judge me uh, and, and are there to help me and that, that's what we're trying to create and I think you know we've knocked it off so far it's been it's went fantastically well and we love it and we're developing and you know, we're learning all the time. Myself and Sean are studying and things uh, to to greater our knowledge. But I just think it's all about the people who come and, and they make it really what it is, and and we just love doing it. And I can't can't wait to get to get back onto the pitch. Class man. Um, before we round this off, uh, obviously let's talk about the podcast that you're launching soon. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have like do you have a name ready or is yes. it? Uh, so, yeah, cool. Uh, What's the concept? Uh, uh, so. The podcast will be called Time to Talk. You'll realise that once I have something, I like to just <laughs> to keep, it, keep it all similar. Um, as I've said a few times throughout this, I love speaking. I think people will understand that when they listen to this, you know, I just <laughs> rabbit on sometimes. Um, but I'm passionate. I think you can sense that I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about mental health. I love football. Um, and I love hearing stories. And I love listening to people uh, and trying to learn from their experiences. And, and, you know, I'll do a lot of speaking at Time to Tackle and things like that and, and listening and, and dealing with the group uh, and hearing what they're going through. And it all just intrigues me to hear how everyone deals with things differently, what works for some people, doesn't work for other people. Uh, I think what I've developed on Twitter, probably mainly since everything came out and I've spoken about it, I've developed some amazing relationships on Twitter with people, uh, some amazing connections, and also those people who indirectly who I haven't spoken to a great deal, but who have followed, you know, very closely, who have inspired me. I think there's so, so, so many people out there 
who are inspiring and don't even understand that they are um, and probably just think this is just my life and and they don't realise just how much difference they're making to other people in communities probably all over the all over the UK and, and the world. And I just want to speak to some of these people. You know, I want to speak to them and I want to record it because I want other people to hear it. I want people to, to be inspired by the same people that I am. Uh, and, you know, some of them will be some people from the Time Tackle group going to come on. Um, some of them will be people you probably know or, or you know, pretty... I hate the word mental health advocate and stuff like that. It frustrates me, but you know what? I'll pretty much that. That's what they would label themselves as. But I think it's just going to be, it's just born from a love of connecting now. Um, uh, and that's, it's exciting. And I'm looking forward to it and giving people a, a platform to, to go and share their story because I think, and I'm really big on this, and it's why I, you know, often do things like this. and, and probably would never really say no to it is because I think there's always always as I've said it before the uh, negativity is easy to find you don't have to go far you know you pick up and scroll your Twitter feed or you pick up a newspaper or you go on your Facebook you know you'll find it very quickly and I think you also find a lot of stories about poor mental health you find a lot of stories about unfortunately and sadly losing people I think I want to see more stories about people who Overcome isn't the right word because I think this is an ongoing thing. But you know, people who have said similar to myself and others out there have have faced this head on and and have said, you know, I came close to suicide, but I'm very grateful I didn't do it. Or I'm very grateful that I survived it. And I think just maybe giving that hope and, and giving that perspective just may encourage others to to seek help um, and not suffer alone and not feel like suicide is the answer. And that the podcast is going to focus that quite heavily as well as just some people who I like and, and I think can can inspire other parts of your life. Oh, brilliant. I can't I can't wait to listen to that. I'll make sure I post um links in the description of this episode to your social media so people Thank can you. can keep up up to date with that being launched. Um, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there, Aaron. Um thank you again for coming on and sharing your experience. I know it's it can be a, a difficult thing to do and I'm sure you've done it so much it's probably beginning to get tedious at times but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm still really grateful for you coming on. Um, finally, the stage is yours. What do you want to tell people? Um, yeah. I think uh, I've said it so many times and I, I really want people to continue hearing it but I think the main thing is that life is worth living and I promise you that um, it really, really is and, and you're never ever alone. Uh there's always people out there who, who are willing to help you uh, and willing to listen. And uh, I dare say they would rather listen to you for three or four hours, go through your life stories and hear a 10-minute eulogy covering your life at a funeral. And that's pretty much it. There you go, people. I hope something in this episode has uh, has reached out to you and, and sparked something in you. But um, yeah, we'll finish it there. Thank you to Aaron again. And thank you to listening for, the list, ugh, for listening to the Football and Feelings podcast. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.